You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, August 29th, 2021. I've taken a few days off. But I'm back again. Today I want to talk with you in episode 203, episode 138 of season 3, about troubleshooting and problem solving. Now, troubleshooting is a subset, subcategory of problem solving. But it's an importantly distinct type of problem solving. And we need to get a handle on how to do these things, how to troubleshoot and how to problem solve. I'm not so sure that all of us are quite so good at it or have to do troubleshooting and problem solving all that often. Or if we are fairly good at it, I'm not so sure that many of us at all know how it is that we actually do it and are intentional about it in a way that we could explain Part of mastering something, even if you are pretty good at it, quite good at it, is learning how to teach that thing to somebody else. When you have to articulate it into words that some other person who is not familiar is going to understand, that all of a sudden tests you. Not only is this person going to learn in the process of you teaching them, you are going to learn in the process of teaching them because you have to suddenly grapple with how well you really do understand the thing you're trying to teach. And maybe you don't understand it and they're not going to call you out on it. But the well-meaning, best-intentioned of us want to actually understand and not be teaching a lot of nonsense, a lot of fluff and nonsense. So first off, what is problem solving. The definition would seem to be embedded in the term itself, but we'll look at Wikipedia because why not? This isn't one of those Wikipedia articles where we have to be really, really careful, I don't think, about bias and inaccurate information. I think this is an okay place to go for a definition. Use this as a dictionary definition of sorts because it's something everybody can edit and so maybe this is an amalgam of our understanding problem solving according to wikipedia consists of using generic or ad hoc methods in an orderly manner to find solutions to problems some of the problem solving techniques developed and used in philosophy artificial intelligence computer science engineering mathematics medicine and societies in general are related to mental problem-solving techniques studied in psychology and cognitive sciences. The term problem-solving has a slightly different meaning depending on the discipline. For instance, it is a mental process in psychology and a computerized process in computer science. There are two different types of problems, ill-defined and well-defined. Different approaches are used for each. Well-defined problems have specific end goals and clearly expected solutions, while ill-defined problems do not. Well-defined problems allow for more initial planning than ill-defined problems. 
Solving problems sometimes involves dealing with pragmatics, the way that context contributes to meaning and semantics, the interpretation of the problem. The ability to understand what the end goal of the problem is and what rules could be applied represents the key to solving the problem. Sometimes the problem requires abstract thinking or coming up with a creative solution. So we've got a lot of moving parts here. I just read for you the definition from Wikipedia for problem solving. The ability to understand what the end goal of the problem is and what rules could be applied represents the key to solving the problem. Sometimes the problem requires abstract thinking or coming up with a creative solution. Now, I'm going to make some points here. So listen up. This is not me reading off of Wikipedia anymore. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, waxing eloquent, for better or worse, trying to problem solve a little bit. What is the end goal when we are problem solving? In short, the answer to that question is going to depend a great deal on what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the nature of reality, what we believe about good and evil, what we believe about truth and falsehood, what we believe is beneficial. One of the things that came up in the course of conversation yesterday was where the Apostle Paul writes that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So, what does that mean in the context of the Apostle Paul writing it? More specifically, how should we apply that truth? What can we do with that? Is there a benefit to us hearing Paul say that? In the context of what Paul is saying, he's talking about meat offered to idols, and how some believe that a meat They buy at the marketplace, which has been consecrated with prayers to a false god, is verboten. To eat that, to buy it, is to participate in idolatry. You're worshiping that false god because the person who sold the meat to you has offered prayers over that meat to their pagan deity. So, if you are a Christian who cannot eat this meat in good conscience then don't. But Paul also addresses the fact that some Christians have no qualms whatsoever. They don't take their engagement as being idolatrous. They're not offering this meat to idols, to false gods. They're just getting some meat, and they pray over it to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, And they have no qualms. They feel no guilt about it, no reservations. Their conscience is clear. And Paul says very clearly, you are free. You are free to eat it or to not eat it. But don't use your freedom to destroy your brother. All things are lawful. All things are permissible. Not all things are expedient. Not all things are beneficial. So just because we have a freedom, that does not mean that we should exercise it any old way. 
that it's good for us to exercise it any old way. Now, if memory serves, yesterday, the context of what Paul wrote about meat off to idols coming up in our conversation as I was over at Luke Bergman's house trying to help him along with several other men from church to dig a ginormous hole in his backyard. He had a grease trap he was suspecting of having plugged off or breaking or leaking everywhere. His sink was backing up whenever his wife would try to run the sink, wash dishes, etc. And as we're digging from 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., small breaks here and there to eat some burritos, eat some burgers, drink a beer, we got to talking a little bit about this whole vaccine mandate business. And the vaccine mandate coming down the pike introduces a number of ethical dilemmas. How do, we, how do we solve the problem? This is a problem. It's a problem that somebody wants to force me to take a vaccine, to inject something into my body, which is going to alter my biochemistry, which I do not feel is safe, which I do not feel is proper, and I don't believe it's safe to allow people to be coercing me, threatening me, threatening my family by extension with a loss of income, with a loss of mobility, with a loss of ability to engage in commerce, with a loss of ability to participate in society if I don't kowtow, if I don't give them what they want, if I don't surrender my liberty and surrender my freedom and surrender my autonomy, my self-control. Here, I'll give my self-control over to this person based on threats. We have a problem that needs solving. One of the solutions which was put forward, which has been put forward by others, notably Doug Wilson, he's got a great podcast episode for Blog and Mayblog. It's out here recently talking about the biblical case for fake vaccine passports. Check it out. It's very good. But one of our number yesterday suggested... Fake vaccine passports to solve the problem. Now, let me stop right there. I know what you're thinking. Garrett, that's not very honest. Shouldn't good Christian men believe in providing things all honest in the sight of all men? All things honest in the sight of all men? Shouldn't good Christian men, out of a duty and obligation to the good Lord above, be operating with integrity? How is a fake vaccine passport operating with integrity? Well, someone of that persuasion was present with us yesterday, and I won't name names because I don't need to, and because I don't believe, though it would be permissible and lawful for me to do so, I don't believe it would be beneficial to any concerned. But let's just say one of our number, responded in a visceral way to this idea, the suggestion of fake vaccine passports. And his response was, yeah, because that's what Jesus would do. Right. That's exact. Jesus would come up with a fake vaccine passport. We had subsequently a rapid fire, somewhat terse, polite enough 
back and forth about the dynamics of the Christian with regards to the truth. Do, do we have an obligation to tell the truth if a Nazi search party comes to our door asking if we have any Jews? And we do. Do we have an obligation to tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God? If we know that our saying yes is going to mean that they then search our house, find the Jewish man, woman, and children, haul them off to the gas chambers, and murder them. Do I have a responsibility to tell that Nazi search party, that Nazi general, captain, lieutenant, private, that I'm hiding Jews in my house? Before God, in all sincerity, with not a shred of doubt, I can say, I have no responsibility to tell that man the truth. That man, because of the nature of what he's doing, is not going to highly value the truth because he had to suppress the truth in order to participate in the thing that he is doing right now. Or if he's just going through the motions out of fear and trepidation, but he doesn't believe in this nonsense, maybe he would thank me for lying to him so I don't make him complicit in any more blood guilt than he already is. Maybe it would be a mercy to him. And certainly the Jews hiding in my home for me to say, no, absolutely not. And the more convincingly, the more elaborately, the more effectively I might protect those Jews in my midst, under my care, under my watch, the better. In fact, I would have qualms. I would have a guilty conscience about saying yes, if you want to know the truth. Now, my good friend, who feels very differently about this, argued his point yesterday, and he's argued it before. We've had this conversation before, where he says, it's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. And I correct him. And sometimes that gives pause, but yesterday it coming up again proved to me that my having said it in the past has not sunk in yet, or he doesn't find it persuasive. But there's a big difference between Thou shalt not lie, which is what people hear, and thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, which is what it says. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor is talking about slander. It's a very specific kind of lie. Slander is making something up about your neighbor in a malicious way to tear them down. Selfish motives, evil intent, like Cain wanting to murder Abel, you want to hurt this person. So you're lying about them. And your false witness might have a lot to do with you breaking others of the Ten Commandments. Coveting this man's house. Coveting this man's livestock or his servants. Coveting this man's property. Coveting this man's wife. So you lie to get him out of the way or to take him down a notch, to hurt him because you don't like feeling less than him. He has something you want. You want it oh so bad. It makes me think of the Project 86 song, Evil, A Chorus of Resistance. It's on their excellent album, Rival Factions. 
Verse 1. Everyone down on the floor, no sudden moves, and lock the door. I've got this feeling I'm chasing. I'll never rest until I find it. I've been plotting away in my heart every day to put this plan into action. And though I try to resist, I find the thing is this. Until I get it, there's no satisfaction. I want something you have. I want it oh so bad. Don't move. Hand it over. I won't stop till it's in my hands. Deep in the recess of every man is a thief, a robber, a criminal. Below the surface of every hero's an envy, a restless evil. And though I try to resist, I find the thing is this. Until I get it, there's no satisfaction. I want something you have. I want it oh so bad. Don't move. Hand it over. I won't stop till it's in my... I want something you have. You must meet my demands. Don't move. Hand it over. I won't stop till it's in my hands. Now, the way I look at it, the shoe rightly belongs on the other foot as far as mandating vaccines. If the powers that be in corporations, in local government, in state government, in national government, in world government, want to demand that I, my wife, my children get a vaccine as a condition... As a condition of employment, as a condition of participation in society, interstate travel, commerce, going to church, etc., etc., getting medical care. In the case of one homeschool mother we know who was refused service by a doctor here in Greeley last week. If they think... They can require, demand, force a vaccine. A vaccine which the FDA, I'm convinced, only recently approved because so many people were saying, well, it's not even FDA approved. And the admin turns around and says, hey, listen, I need you to approve this vaccine. People are dying, suffering, and more importantly, refusing to do what we tell them to do because they say, you haven't approved this vaccine. Hurry up. Approve this vaccine so that people will do what we tell them to do. Evil. It's evil. And it's predicated on lies and envy and jealousy and greed and hubris. So if I come up with a fake vaccine passport or find one and purchase it and it gets me where I need to be without giving away something that does not rightfully belong to the people demanding it, can I do that in good conscience, in a clear conscience, given the trajectory? Because here's the question. Here's the question that Doug Wilson asks, and I think it's a fine question. I think it's a very good question. I think it's a needful question. If this isn't where the line is drawn, where we say, absolutely not. No, that's tyranny. The very polite, well-dressed, well-housed, comfortable, conservative types who say, well, I don't like it either, but it's not tyranny. Those folks need to be asked a very simple question. If this is not tyranny, what is? You tell me when we have hit tyranny. How will we know? What will it look like? What kinds of things will be done? You draw the line. Do we, do we have a line drawn? I've talked about this for years with regards to public education. The parents who send their kids into the public schools 
And it never ceases to amaze me the things those parents will put up with and say, oh, it's not so bad. Oh, it's not so bad. They're angry. They don't catch themselves right away when the new thing and the next thing and the worst thing comes along down the pike, one after another after another, and the school board won't listen, and the principal won't listen, and the superintendent won't listen, and everybody can blame up the chain because this is the Prussian model of education after all, and everything's supposed to be top-down like Prussia was supposed to be top-down and centralized. But there's no red line. There's no line where they've said, okay, if this happens, I'm pulling my kids out. If this happens, if they start requiring this, if they take away that, if the educational outcome for my children drops below this point, if the sinfulness that they're trying to teach my children to embrace, endorse, affirm, live out, rises to this level, if the godlessness that they're trying to teach my children to believe and embrace and build their lives around drops to this point, we're out. They just move the goalposts. And when you, trying to reason with them, or me, more specifically, try to reason with them as a homeschool father, say, well, yeah, but this is going to lead to X, Y, and Z. Are you going to pull your kids out then? No, 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 no. That'll never happen. That's pretty far-fetched. I don't think that's ah, never going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. No, no, no. You're getting a little carried away. Except when a year later or six months later, that very thing is being discussed. And then regardless how powerful the arguments at the school board meeting, how powerful the testimony of parents, experts, high-profile people, the school board passes it anyway. They got to. Because it isn't about the thing. It's about control. It's about power. It's about what are you going to do about it? The very fact of you standing up to them might be all the more reason to do it because they're on a power trip. Why did these people get into politics? Why did they run for school board? Why did they run for mayor? Why did they run for governor? Why did they run for president? Because they like that feeling of power because it was not an opportunity to serve their fellow Americans. So what qualms should we have in taking some of the power that rightfully belongs to us back. Tell me that. Tell me that. If they're taking that power and they're abusing it, maybe what's needed is widespread, large-scale, massive noncompliance. If they're bluffing, call their bluff and call it in a big way and watch them fire themselves. South Dakota's governor, Kristi Noem, wants to push back on her more conservative legislature that wants to imitate Montana and pass legislation and have her sign it, making it impossible for employers to mandate that their employees get the COVID vaccine. Christy Noem says, nope, I'm not signing it. Just like she was the weakest link with regards to protecting girls' sports, from transgender, cross-dressing boys in girls' clothing. So also here, she wants to affirm the left. She wants to have it both ways. So what about that? What's her position? 
Well, if you don't like it, just go work somewhere else. Go work somewhere else. You don't want to get a vaccine to work for this employer? Just go somewhere else. Work someone. Work for someone else. You know what? Here's the problem with that. Where does that? Where? Where's the line? Right. This whole Me Too movement, for instance. What happens when an employer in 20 years says, in order to keep your job, you have to do certain favors for me whenever I want them. And because of the LGBTQ+, turning any sexual desire into quote-unquote love, us confusing and conflating sexual desire and sexual attraction for love, we remove all barriers to sexual activity, any boundaries, any rules, any limitations whatsoever. Anything goes, literally anything goes with regards to sexual activity. Pedophilia, rape, doesn't matter. Consensual, non-consensual, what's the difference? Everybody's born the way they're born. Might makes right. Truth is a will to power and nothing more. And what if 20 years from now, it is a job requirement for some people, some employers write it into the contract that you have to do me favors whenever I want or else I'm going to fire you. Oh, well, Garrett, well, that's very, very different. Is it? Is it? Christy Nome 3.0 in 20 years tells employees who are distressed, emotionally distressed by this, who are distraught, who aren't sure where they would find another job. If they lose their job right now, they say, okay, well, I guess I'm just out of work. I'm out of work because my employer wants to control me in this way. See, the thing that the people in the mushy middle who just want peace so badly, and they'll have peace on the terms of whoever is threatening them the hardest. If the left is threatening them the hardest or promising them the biggest rewards, because that's the right side of history, so they go whichever way the wind blows. The mushy middle folks, they don't have a line right now. And they don't understand that the people who are so dead set against these mask mandates, vaccine mandates, big tech censorship, 2020 election fraud, that crowd has a line. The mushy middle folks, they don't understand somebody having a red line. Because secretly, even though they use their freedom to behave themselves for the most part, they're not actually conservatives. They might vote Republican, but for what reason? They might go to church, behave themselves, not do drugs, not drink alcohol to excess, not go out partying every weekend, getting STDs and unwanted pregnancies and abortions. But for what reason? For what reason? Because they fear God, because they love the good Lord, because this is what his word says, and this is what's true, and this is what's right. Or is it just because they don't feel like it? If they felt like it, they would do it, but they don't feel like it, so they don't. Where's the line? Where Where is the red line? Now, for people that are very, very conservative, for the right reasons, the red line is 
here's what God says is right and true. And also here's what's self-evidently right and true. Here's general revelation and special revelation. When a conservative talks about common sense, what they're talking about is general revelation. God is the creator of the universe. He made an orderly universe that operates according to certain principles and rules. We can observe what those rules and principles are. And yes, we have to be careful about how much weight we put on our observations of those things. But there is such a thing as transcendent, knowable, objective reality. And we can know it because we're made in God's image. Because God has created us with that ability, however finite, he's created us with an ability and we know from his word that there is a truth that we should know it and when we know the truth, it will set us free. And Jesus says that as if it's a good thing. How many of the mushy Christian conservatives who aren't really conservative Christians in their thinking and their feeling on things, their reasoning on things, they're conservative Christians in outward appearance because they want to keep peace with everybody. They want to have it both ways. How many of those type folks really think that freedom is good, important, essential? And I think a lot of those folks, they play both sides of the fence and they play patty cake with the left, with a liberal theology, political, social liberalism because they think that is where freedom lies for them, freedom of movement, as in, if I play nice with these folks, they'll let me do what I need to do. They'll let me keep my business. They'll let me stay employed. They'll let me keep coming to church. They'll let me keep coming to their parties. They'll let me stay out of prison. They'll let me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my freedom comes from expedient decisions, tactical decisions to stay friends with the right people. Meanwhile, the conservatives maintain my liberty comes from God Almighty and I don't want to do anything or say anything untoward which would offend the Almighty above and I believe that if I keep my way pure before him, he rewards those who wait on him, he rewards those who do good and he punishes those who do evil. And just because somebody makes a claim to authority, but that, does not, that does not mean that they have the authority to do as much as they claim they have authority to do. That does not mean that they have the authority to require you to do all that they are trying to require you to do. The test case for opposing tyranny, for noncompliance with unjust edicts is in the book of Daniel. Read the book of Daniel. O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Coming back to troubleshooting and problem solving, I said at the beginning of this episode that troubleshooting is a subset, subcategory of problem solving. And I'll read you a little bit of what the Wikipedia article for troubleshooting says. I quote, Troubleshooting is a form of problem solving, often applied to repair failed products or processes on a machine or a system. It is a logical, systematic search for the source of a problem in order to solve it and make the product or process operational again. 
Troubleshooting is needed to identify the symptoms. Let me repeat that to emphasize so you don't miss it. In case you were busy doing something else, your mind wandered. Listen, troubleshooting is needed to identify the symptoms. Determining the most likely cause is a process of elimination, eliminating potential causes of a problem. Finally, troubleshooting requires confirmation that the solution restores the product or process to its working state. Now, the next paragraph is interesting. In general, troubleshooting is the identification or diagnosis of trouble in the management flow of a system caused by a failure of some kind. The problem is initially described as symptoms of malfunction and troubleshooting is the process of determining and remedying the causes of these symptoms. Now, here's the trouble, one of our troubles, and you and I need to figure this out. And by all means, reach out. Let me know. Let me know if you get this figured out, if you have some ideas, some practical solutions. But I'll tell you what I've come up with so far. Part of the trouble we have is not just with the left in this country. Theologically, in the church, trying to push this woke nonsense, claiming that anybody who doesn't get on board with the woke business in church is a heretic. As I talked about in my last episode a couple of days ago, Dr. Eric Mason is one of these folks. Paul David Tripp's pastor is one of these folks. Tony Evans is Eric Mason's spiritual father, as Eric Mason says. So watch out for Tony Evans as well. Tabidi Anyabwile with the Gospel Coalition is one of these folks. So watch out with Tabidi Anyabwile. But our problem is not just, our trouble is not just with the theological left. In fact, I would say the only reason we have any trouble whatsoever with the theological left, the social left, the political left in this country, in America, in the United States of America, in case you forgot where you live, most of you folks, although several of our listeners are overseas. I don't know if they're Americans or what, but the trouble we have with the left has everything to do with the left believing they can accomplish things by getting the mushy middle to go along with them. And the mushy middle, meanwhile, are like flying bugs who see the shiny, glowing blue light on the side of the porch. And it's just so pretty. And it's just so beautiful. It's got this attractive humming. Maybe I should fly a little closer. And maybe a little closer yet. And, oh, it's so pretty. And I want to just touch it. Maybe just, I'll just touch it once. And just see, see, is this food? Is this... No, it wasn't food. It wasn't food. And the people who had been watching, they knew it wasn't food. And they tried to tell you it wasn't food. And pain is a teacher, except it's hard to learn lessons when you're dead. A lot of naive, comfortable folks love so much being comfortable. And they love it more than anything. They'd rather die than give up their comfort. They can't imagine a fate worse than being uncomfortable and conflict. They don't like conflict. They don't want to be in conflict. So anytime they're, anytime they're confronted with conflict, they react viscerally to the confrontation because it poses a threat to their comfort. They're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And if they have to have any conflict whatsoever, they're going to have it with you. They're going to have it with you for making them uncomfortable and telling them they need to have conflict with these folks over here. But they've already shaken hands with the folks over here. So do they want to have conflict with these folks they've shook hands with and have internal conflict? Because why did I miss this? Why did I miss this detail, this important fact about the bug light? And I shouldn't have. But now I've got egg on my face, but I'm not willing to admit it because I'm proud and conceited and unrepentant. The left, the control freaks, the golden statue makers who insist that everybody bow down and worship them will turn up the heat a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more until they get 100% compliance. They're not comfortable, content, satisfied with anything less. But it's satanic. It's always been satanic. Now, that doesn't mean we should be less respectful than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O King, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. The mushy middle folks are a problem because they don't like admitting that there is trouble. They don't want to admit that there is trouble. That's trouble. It's a problem that they don't want to admit that we have a problem. They try to define down degeneracy. They try to move the goalposts when the simple fact is that they don't have goalposts. They're lying when they say that there are goalposts because the most important thing for them is comfort, feeling comfortable. What makes them feel comfortable? Being at peace with the control freaks who run their lives. Don't you go making me uncomfortable with thoughts of refusing to bow down to this golden statue of the king you shush. The only trouble here is what you brought. You brung the trouble by telling us that there was trouble. We didn't have any trouble until you came along. See, it's impossible to solve a problem which you have not defined. Whether the problem was well-defined or ill-defined on the front end, you can't solve a problem you're not willing to define. Whether the work is mostly done by the time you get to it, or it is a blank piece of paper that you've got to fill in from scratch. You have to define the problem. But that's not all. Once you define the problem, then you've got to, very often, go through the process of elimination, eliminating potential causes. How do we know there's a problem? Now well, we see symptoms. Do you see symptoms? Shut up. Maybe your senses don't work. Be quiet. Maybe your brain is just not as evolved as all the rest of our brains. You still have a reptile brain, a primitive brain, holdover from a caveman days. You're not sufficiently evolved. Isn't that a convenient excuse for you to not listen, to not, may, to not pay attention, to turn the TV up when you're watching the kind of thing that serves the same purpose as Soma in Brave New World, keep you comfortably numb, anesthetized, wake me up when it's over, or let me die in my sleep, comfortable, because comfort is the most important thing to me, it's the only important thing to me, because I'm the only important thing to me, I'm completely self-absorbed, I am my own God, I am God, and beside me there is no other, God will not be mocked, that was part of the conversation yesterday too, 
maybe, just maybe, all this business with Afghanistan, the collapse of American credibility temporarily, maybe this is God's judgment on us because not only are we wicked, but we claim his blessings. We claim an affinity for the good Lord. And by so doing, we play a very, very dangerous game. God is not mocked. He will reap vengeance on those who claim to be his people, all the while being sons of the devil. So maybe this is judgment. Judgment is nigh. We were ripe for judgment. We don't deserve God's favor. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. And perhaps it's just our time as a country, as a nation. He'll save a remnant. He will not let the righteous fall. And you watch. You watch God's people be delivered out of the coming judgment one way or the other. But that deliverance might take the same form as the statement from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Maybe some of us are so selfish, so foolish, so short-sighted, we're going to claim we trust the providence of God, and that's why we're doing nothing to solve or remedy the problem. That's why we refuse to admit that there is a problem. We'll have a form of godliness. We'll honor God with our lips. Meanwhile, our hearts are far from him because we're self-indulgent. We're fat and happy and sassy. Mockers, scoffers, don't tell me what Proverbs says about sitting in the seat of the scoffer, walking in the way of the wicked, standing in the way of the wicked. Don't tell me about that. I don't want to hear that. Shh. Okay. The man reaps what he sows. The other possibility is that the folks who fear God have no other choice but to make the mushy middle folks who are comfortably numb pick a side clearly, openly. Make them uncomfortable. Make the left uncomfortable. Make them show their cards honestly. Proverbs also says that Open hatred is better than secret love. So if these mushy metal folks secretly love us conservatives, secretly, behind the scenes, they really wish they could join us, they so admire us, make them prove it. And if they secretly hate us because we make them uncomfortable, all the better for everyone around to see that Instead of the playing both sides of the fence, being two-faced, being duplicitous, saying one thing here and saying another thing there, throwing out some passive-aggressive swipe, which has the effect of bearing false witness. We don't think that sideways comments, insinuations, are bearing false witness, but we think that a fake vaccine passport is bearing false witness. We need to study to show ourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth means not adding and not subtracting. We can't solve problems we're not willing to admit, because if you're not willing to admit the problem, you're not going to be defining the problem. If you won't admit or define the problem, 
You'll never get on to the process of elimination, trying to solve it. And this cannot be the effort of one man. It just can't. That's what gets us into this mess, is thinking that one person can solve all of our problems. Well, one person can. God can. But part of how God solves our problems is he puts us in community. And he puts us in community for very specific, intentional, wise, good purposes. Ecclesia was the word for the church in the New Testament. In the Greek New Testament, ecclesia is the word used. Ecclesia is the gathering of the citizens to decide public matters. We need to rediscover that, ladies and gentlemen. Rediscover that, study it, meditate on it. We need to be having roundtable discussions to figure out what we're going to do when China invades. When China takes over our corporations, our bureaucracies, if we happen to get a literal Manchurian candidate, or if we have one, what are we going to do about that? We, not somebody else. What are we going to do about that? And it's got to be we. Because if we are not the people whose government this is representative of, who is? And what are we instead? If this is not our government, then what is it? We need to be thinking about those things if we're going to solve them. But I'm out of time. It's a Sunday morning. I'm not feeling especially well. 12 hours of working in the sun, digging, smelling gray water. Might have something to do with it. I hope that's all it is. But I'm going to let you go for now. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.